The song we just sang gives to us in lyrical form the truth that theologians will often refer to as the effectual call, by which they mean Jesus' call on a man's life, whereby he gives a command to follow him, and we can't resist, we can't deny, we can't disobey, we are bound to respond. When Jesus calls a man unto salvation, we are saved. That's the truth of the effectual call. It's a wonderful truth. It's written about not just in song, but in the Bible. We read of it in the epistles. When the apostles wrote their letters to the churches, they made reference to such works in salvation. And we read about it in narrative. This morning in Matthew's gospel, we see this brief interaction at the very early stages of Jesus' earthly ministry where he goes to these fishermen, he commands them to follow him, they drop everything, and they go. It's a brief narrative, and because of the nature of narrative, we perhaps don't get as many details as we would like. Elsewhere in the Bible, we could study the effectual call with more details given in the text. We could understand it within the broader economy of salvation. The effectual call is the very first initiating act on God's part towards us that regenerates, that prompts repentance from sin and faith in Christ, that then leads to justification and sanctification and eventually to glorification. All of those wonderful truths are given to us throughout the Bible. Here, in just a very brief style, in narrative form, we see an interaction which seems to point us towards that wonderful reality of the effectual call. Now, as we think about this truth this morning, it is helpful to compartmentalize these theological realities. You can pick up all number of books that do so, that systematize our doctrine, and they are of great value to us because they teach us. They teach us what we know, and they, they break down for us the pertinent truths of our faith. At the same time, I am always burdened to keep these truths as we find them in Scripture within their context. It is so important not only to train ourselves in the doctrines of the faith, the systematization of truth, but also as we see these truths in Scripture, to hold them within their proper context. The reason being is you look at theological truth in its context, often wonderful, glorious realities will emerge by virtue of seeing the bigger picture. The immediate context in this case is one wherein Jesus had just made an announcement concerning the coming of the kingdom. You remember last week, we finished our text with Jesus' sermon, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Now, that's an enormous announcement from Jesus, especially if you've been tracking with Matthew's arguments so far. Matthew, from verse 1 of chapter 1, has been presenting Jesus as not only the King, the long-awaited for Messiah, but also as God. Matthew has not been shy to show us that this long-awaited for Messiah, this King, is at the same time God in the flesh. So if you've been following Matthew's argument and you get to chapter 4, verse 17, and you hear from this God-man, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the first time you're reading this. Or perhaps you were there on that very day. You could be forgiven for anticipating that something tremendous was about to take place. Something significant was about to happen off of the back of this declaration. The king, the God-man, just stated the kingdom is here. It's at hand. It's close by. Does that mean that this man is about to establish his throne? Does it mean that this man is about to overthrow the Roman government? Is he about to set up a fortress? Are we about to see this mass conversion to following Christ and the establishment of his kingdom? With all of that in view, what we actually see, the very next thing given to us is that Jesus walks beside a lake and he approaches some fishermen and he says, follow me. And that's it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he calls two lowly fishermen. And that's it. And so you see, it's so important to keep our theological truths, our doctrines within their proper context because glorious realities will emerge as we study the bigger picture. And this morning, I want to consider the truth of the effectual call here given to us as Jesus beckoning men to follow him. I want to consider that theological reality, but as it relates specifically to the coming of God's kingdom. As we keep chapter 4 verse 17 in view and consider Jesus' command to follow him, we will start to learn certain realities concerning him, his kingdom, and his kingdom citizens. I've made four observations concerning Jesus' call, what it means for him to issue this call as it relates to himself as the king and us as his kingdom citizens. The first one, very simply, is that the king's call is gracious. The king's call is gracious, and that then implies, in turn, that his people are grateful. The king's call is gracious, his people are grateful. Consider the reality that these fishermen were not seeking Jesus 
They were going about their business, and they were doing so, as fishermen do, very much at the lower end of the social spectrum. Jesus walks by the lake, fully man and fully God. What that means is, when Jesus sets his eyes on them, he knows everything there is to know about them. Jesus is not in ignorance in any way. At the moment when he calls them, Jesus knows fully who these men are. He knows that they're fishermen. He knows that no one is following them. He knows that they don't have a crowd of supporters pleading for their attention. He knows that these fishermen were uneducated men. Jesus knew who he was getting. More than that, the more important theological reality is that Jesus perceives all that is in their hearts. When Jesus calls Simon and Andrew, he knows fully their sin. He knows entirely the depravity of their hearts. He knows everything that these fishermen have ever done, have ever thought, have ever said. Jesus as the God-man, knows completely all that is in their hearts set against his heavenly Father. Consider the fact that Jesus, fully man, fully God, setting his eyes upon these men, knows fully every way in which these men will fail him. He is not ignorant as to how these men will go on to fail him. When the disciples fall asleep in the garden of Gethsemane, when the hour is needed for them to be alert and pray, Jesus is not surprised. When Peter denies Christ three times, in the very hour when it is most important for him to swear his allegiance to him, Jesus is not surprised. He knows fully, looking at them, every single way in which they will go on to fail him. And with all of that knowledge, Jesus says, follow me. So, you see, how is it that we reconcile this tension we are driven to, the only possible answer being that Jesus' call is a grace-fueled call. It is a grace-filled call. It is a gracious call. Jesus knows their sin, and in full knowledge of their failings, he beckons them unto kingdom citizenship. It is a grace-fueled call. And it is no different in your life. If you're a Christian here this morning, the reality of your salvation is that in some way, at some moment in time, you receive the effectual call. You didn't receive it by way of an audible voice from heaven. You didn't receive it as these men did with a face-to-face interaction with Christ. You received it perhaps through the preaching of God's Word. Maybe God was pleased to use the preaching of God's Word as the effectual call to you. Or maybe you received that call through the evangelistic witness of a friend. 
It may have been that you received that call simply through the reading of God's word. However God decided that you would receive it, the reality is, by virtue of the fact that you're a Christian, you also are the recipient of the effectual call. And just as it was with the disciples, the call in your life was a gracious call. God knew all that you had done to offend him, past, present, and future. He knew your sin entirely. He knew the inclinations of your heart against him better than you yourself know them. And yet, he called you unto salvation. It is a gracious call. And as I say that, I recognize that I am making a a statement pertaining to a debate that has lasted as long as the history of the church a debate which questions and interrogates the nature of God's grace in the effectual call. The debate that is as old as the church itself is one that sometimes suggests that God's grace works with our response. God's grace comes alongside our response and the two work together to bring us into the kingdom Others would suggest that God's grace sits over all of humanity, making possible for some the response. Others would say that God's grace sees the eventual outworking of a man's heart, and so on that future knowledge gives the call to salvation, none of which are biblically defendable. None of those views can be defended from the Bible. The true nature of God's grace is that it is the sole actor in the effectual call. There is nothing else working with God's grace at that moment. God's grace is the only actor in the effectual call. Though we don't see all the details here in Matthew's narrative, we are explained them by Scripture elsewhere, not least in our passage this evening. From Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. When Paul writes those words to the Ephesians, he's not employing some kind of metaphor that means you are actually a little bit alive. He doesn't use the word dead to speak of some kind of life. He says you were dead so as that we would understand that we were dead. We had no life in us. Therefore, it was impossible for us to contribute or work with God's grace at the moment of salvation. In John's gospel, we get perhaps an even more vivid portrayal of this truth when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb. A man who is physically dead, though also spiritually dead. He can't respond. And wonderfully, Jesus stands there and says, Lazarus, come out. That's the effectual call. There is God's grace at work in salvation to make sinners come to life. And it is exactly the way in which God saved you. It's so important to refresh our hearts to this truth every single week because we are so prone to forget it. I was reminded this morning of 
a reality just yesterday, wasn't that far in the past, we as a family had entered into a race, a fun run over in Agora, and my race, I mean, this is one of those events that as a family, we, it's far off in the distance on the calendar and it looks like a good idea. <laughs> so we all signed up heartily about six months ago and then the day of the race comes and now nobody thinks it's a good idea. And I was particularly begrudging of it because my race started earlier than anyone else's. So I was up late on Friday night working on this text, got to bed later than I wanted, and then I had an early meeting on Zoom prior to the race. So I'm up very early for this meeting, and then the second the meeting ends, I'm speeding away in the car to get to that start line. I'll be honest, before I had even started the race, I was feeling quite proud of myself. (laughs) I was proud at how well I'd done to get to the start line. (laughs) And so I run the race, and then I was thinking on this text as I'm running and praying, God, help me to preach the reality of your grace tomorrow. And of course... What often happens is that we run the Christian race. Five, 10, 15, 20 years in, and we start to forget our lifelessness prior to our salvation. And we can very easily start to believe that we did really well to get to the start line. We can very easily, based upon the fruit that God is producing in our lives 20 years into the Christian life, begin to believe that God made a wise choice when he called me. It makes all the sense in the world that God chose me because look how I've turned out. Forgetting the reality that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You are abhorrent in the sight of God. You did nothing to honor Him. And the only reason that you are a Christian today is because the effectual call is one that is a gracious call. And the problem with forgetting the reality of His grace in your salvation is that you can lose your gratitude for the reality of sins forgiven and righteousness bestowed. The outworking of God's gracious call in your life is one of the utmost gratitude. A disposition which is not grateful is invariably, one way or another, a heart that has lost sight of the grace of salvation. The king's call is a gracious call. Number two, the king's call is a specific call. It is a specific call which leads to an assured people. There is a difference between what we call the effectual call, what we see here in this text, and what we would call the general call. These are different categories, again, that you can find in all manner of 
theologies, the effectual call and the general call, there is a difference between the two. The general call is a call that I would make on a Sunday morning. I would appeal to anyone here who has not put their faith in Christ savingly, repent of your sins, turn away from that which dishonors God, cast yourself upon Jesus, find in Him a sufficient Savior, and your sins will be forgiven. That's a general appeal from me, a mere man, to you, mere people, and there's an option there. There are many that will hear that and walk away from it. In God's grace, he may render my general call an effectual call to some, such that there will be some that respond. But for my part, all I've done is issue this general call. In the Lord's providence, in Matthew's writing, we have, I think, an example of a general call in the preceding text. In verse 17, when Jesus preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, still fully man and fully God, he is issuing there what seems to be a general call. He's appealing to the crowds. And as you know, many will walk away from that. And then in verse 19, the call shifts to the effectual call. So there are differences between the two calls. One of the differences is that of specificity. The general call goes out to everyone, and it can be resisted, it can be ignored. The effectual call is a laser-focused beam to individual by individual, and it cannot be resisted. The effectual call is a specific one. It goes to the individual. God gets into your heart with the truth of the gospel, and you cannot say no. When the effectual call is issued, His grace is irresistible. The person that receives that call is a Christian. Their lives are forever changed. They are now on board a disciple of Jesus. Their names are found in the book of life and they will one day be with Jesus forever. That is the nature of the effectual call. It is specific. And we praise God for that. Again, the narrative doesn't give us all of the details that we might want, but elsewhere we could unpack the theology of the specific call through the epistles and see that it starts to introduce doctrines such as election and predestination. Again, you see how our morning and evening complement each other so well. We've been learning in the evening services that God made a choice before the foundation of the world. Before you were, He chose you. He predestined you and He elected you unto salvation. Which means this encounter by the Sea of Galilee was not a chance encounter. The disciples may have been viewing it in that way on this day. It just so happened today that this guy walked by and beckoned me to follow him. Perhaps they, that's how they saw it. We understand 
through the teaching of Scripture that this very interaction had been ordained from before the foundation of the world. In exactly the same way, whatever is your salvation testimony, God decided that it would be such. And we praise God for these realities because there are inferences that fall out of them. When you see the truth of this specific effectual call, you understand that one of the inferences is that if God chose you, He will not let you go. If God has made a choice from before the foundation of the world that you would be His, and that's the way in which your salvation came into effect, He's not going to be complacent about your sanctification or your glorification. The same logic that underpins your justification carries on throughout the rest of your Christian life. Namely, the specificity with which he called you carries on into each and every day as a believer, your sanctification and the day in which you will meet the Lord Jesus. He is not going to let you go. Think about the alternative. If on this day, Jesus made a general call that it was possible to deny. Follow me, whoever decides that they would like to. And it just so happens that two of the fishermen said, we, we think we're going to go. If that had been their reality, I wouldn't hold out much hope for when times get tough with Jesus. I don't hope, I don't think that these men will carry on with Christ when persecution comes. If the reality had been that in some way they responded to a general call, now I'm not so sure what happens when we get to the Garden of Gethsemane. Not only would they be falling asleep, but utterly fleeing, never to be associated with Jesus ever again. The only reason that you wake up tomorrow a Christian is because God was gracious and sovereign, and the only actor in your salvation. You brought nothing to the equation of your justification. And because of that reality, you will wake up a believer tomorrow morning. And 10,000 years from now, you will still be one who trusts in Christ. You see how the specificity of the effectual call leads to an assured believer, a comforted believer, one who can rejoice in the security of their salvation. That is the reality of his citizens. I think often we can lose sight of this truth. Because, of course, as we are justified, as we are proclaimed as belonging to Christ, we do keep on sinning. We do keep on sinning. And so as we walk out the Christian life and grow ever more aware of our failings, 
we can sometimes question whether that initial act of faith, that expression of faith that came from our hearts was genuine. We can look back and say, was that even a real thing when I put my faith in Christ? When I heard the gospel, did I truly respond? Because what I see now is ongoing sin. And of course, the truth is your sin, even your sin today, is of a fundamentally different nature to your sin from when you were an unbeliever. Your sin today issues from a, a, new, a new life. You're not perfect. You're striving to be Christ-like. The disciples also would stumble and falter all their earthly lives. But now your sin grieves you. Previously, you were one who was at home with your sin. Your sin grieved God. It did not grieve you. And now that you have received the effectual call, resulting in repentance from sin and faith in Christ, now though you sin, you sin as a new creation. You are fundamentally different and your sin grieves you just as it grieves God. So you can be assured by virtue of Jesus' call. Number three, the king's call is not only gracious and specific, but it is authoritative. The king's call is authoritative. You'll notice there's no deliberation when Jesus says, follow me. I think there's something to the fact that Matthew keeps the narrative very brief, very short. He doesn't give us many details. He records the the mere facts of the matter. Jesus went up to them. He issues an imperative, and they follow him. Not only do they follow him, but they leave their nets behind. This is implications for the rest of their earthly lives. They just left behind their livelihoods, and they don't know what lays ahead of them. They have no idea the teaching that will follow from Jesus, the demands that he will place on their lives. They have no idea what they'll be doing after Jesus ascends to heaven, and yet they drop everything and they follow. Then Jesus goes on and he calls two more fishermen, low economic status, uneducated men. He's building his kingdom through these fishermen and they're with their father. And he says, follow me. Same imperative we can imply. And immediately, they left their boat and their father. They are willing to walk away from their livelihood and their family to follow Christ. When you read Mark's gospel, you'll see that immediately is his favorite word. Read through Mark's gospel, see how often he uses that phrase, and that's in Mark's telling of the story, a means of getting us to the cross. He wants to very quickly bring the cross into view, and so he keeps using this word. That's not the case with Matthew. And so the use of immediately here, twice in this few verses, is highly significant. He's being very emphatic about the nature of these men's obedience. Their obedience was complete. It was total. It wasn't hindered. They didn't need to step to one side and deliberate as to whether they wanted to follow this man 
And the explanation for that is simply that the king's call is authoritative. It is authoritative, just as it was, as we've already thought about this morning, when Jesus called dead Lazarus out of the tomb. An authoritative call that reigns even over dead bodies. Now, why is that? How were these men able to respond so readily to such an authoritative call? You have to understand their leaving of their nets, their leaving of their families is but the fruit of a much deeper, much more profound theological truth that the effectual call gives a new heart. The citizens, in receiving the effectual call, receive that new heart. It is not a call that directs upon a slightly different trajectory, helps in some way to tread out a new path. That is not the foundation of this call. When Jesus says, follow me, to anyone, he's not saying, how about a slight life change? He's not saying, let's address a few of these habits that you've got. Let's Let's see if we can address a few of these ways in which your life isn't quite up to the expected standard. That's not what's happening. And so when they leave their nets and leave their father, that is but what's happening on the surface. That is but the fruit of what happens in the heart when Jesus issues the effectual call. Specifically when he says, follow me in a declarative, authoritative sense, he is issuing a new heart. The truth of regeneration is part and parcel with the effectual call. We sung of that again this morning in the hymn just prior to the sermon. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one. Stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched. My soul revived and now I live in him. When Jesus issues the effectual call, his citizens are made new. Finally, the king's call is gracious, specific, authoritative, and it is purposeful. The king's call is purposeful, which renders his people as active. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you, I will cause you to be fishers of men. We know these words well, we use them in evangelistic contexts. It's a wonderful truth that Jesus gives to these men. He's, of course, playing off of the reality of their livelihood. They were fishers of fish, and now they'll be fishers of men. What's interesting about this word picture is that it is found in the Old Testament, specifically hidden away in the book of Jeremiah, And you'll remember from a few weeks back when we thought through Matthew's use of Jeremiah, 
that prophet is a prophet of much judgment. And in Jeremiah, God speaks of being a fisher of men in the context of rendering judgment. Even if you think about what it is to to fish a fish, there's not much joy for the fish in being caught. (laughs) It's originally used in an Old Testament context to speak of God's judgment. Now, that is not necessarily to say that here, as Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men, that he's speaking solely, exclusively about a ministry of judgment, but probably more holistically, he's saying, come with me and I will make you into those that bring people to a point of decision. You will be those that issue the general call Some will respond. For some, it will be the effectual call. They'll respond in salvation. To others, it won't. They'll walk away and they will be judged for having heard the gospel and not responded. Jesus is portraying that will be the nature of their ministry. More broadly, he is saying, follow me and I will make you kingdom builders. Follow me and I will never give you a day off. You will all be always, always being, be doing the work of the kingdom. When Jesus issues the effectual call, he calls us into service. He makes his people very active people. They will forever after be doing the work of the ministry, laboring so as to build the kingdom in a way that accords with your gifting. God gifts to the church all manner of gifts, and you use those gifts to serve the body and Lord willing in his wisdom and providence to increase the body by bringing in sinners into the truth of the gospel. And this is our truth today in the Lord's providence as I was working on this very point. One of my children walked in the other day and out of nowhere, they said, Dad, what's a good age to retire? And I said, son, I'm not there yet. (laughs) But we had a good conversation about it, and we talked about the wisdom that there is in, at some point in life, leaving formal work and acknowledging the reality of old age. But then we went on to talk about the fact that, in a sense, Christians never retire. We keep laboring until the day that Christ calls us home. Because that's the nature of the calling that we have received. Jesus does not call us so as to be idle. He doesn't call us so as to do nothing and watch Him do everything. Jesus calls us to be co-laborers with Him, building His kingdom, laboring until that day when Christ returns, and so Christians ought to be very active people. And that is the nature of the effectual call. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then he instructs two fishermen to follow him. And through that tension, through that context, we see that the king's call is a gracious one that makes his people grateful. The king's call is a specific one that renders his people comforted. The king's call 
is an authoritative one that makes his people new. And his call is purposeful, that makes us active until the day in which he returns. Let's pray in response. Our Father, we give you thanks for this short narrative that we see this morning expanded upon so many other places in Scripture, Jesus' effectual call to bring sinners unto salvation. With all authority and with all grace, with all sovereignty and with all purpose, Jesus instructed these men to follow him. And we see the glorious realities of that call, not only in their lives, but in ours also. The effectual call is one that is authoritative, it is gracious, it is specific, and it is with purpose. So that, properly considered, we today are grateful people. We are comforted and assured people. We are new creations and we are active. Father, we commit our hearts to you in response to these truths. May we be found as your kingdom citizens, awaiting that day when Christ returns. May we be living in light of the call unto salvation that we have received. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.